Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study that is posted on Wednesday evenings for those who cannot be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha. Now, we know that there are people in the Omaha area who are not able to be with us at the prescribed times for various reasons, uh, maybe health reasons, maybe handicaps physically or of one kind or another, maybe work schedules, whatever it might be. But we know also that there are people who listen in other parts of the country and in other parts of the world, literally. And so we're thankful to have this opportunity to be able to teach these lessons through the medium of the internet and and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful to be able to get God's Word out there all over the world, basically, wherever the internet is available. And that is a blessing that we take seriously, and uh, we take it to heart. We want to help you get into God's Word. We want to help you learn more from what His Word teaches all of us and come to a better understanding of what his will is for your life and thereby grow in your faith because faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. And we encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means, but share with people in your life. You know people in your life who need to get into God's word. They need to grow in their faith. They need to be they need to start thinking about their soul's salvation and their eternal destiny. So help them by getting them into, the, into God's Word through sharing these short studies with them every time you can. Family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, anybody and everybody. You may help somebody turn their life around. You may help somebody get to heaven. What a great blessing that will be for them, but also for you. We're going to continue our study in the book of Jude, the book of Jude, and we're, oh, close to halfway through this particular short letter in God's Word. Now, Jude, again, we believe almost certainly was a physical brother of Jesus. He identifies himself in the opening verses as a brother of James, and we believe James, who was the penman for the five-chapter letter of James, we believe that James was also a brother of Jesus, physical brother. And so if Jude was a brother of James, then it would stand to reason that Jude would also have been a physical brother of Jesus. But now that's really kind of aside. God chose Jude to be the penman for this particular short letter And God is the actual author. It is his word. Remember what we've emphasized many, many times through these studies. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And more literally, that means from the Greek, it is God breathed. And the image being the words flowing across the lips of God. Now, again, God is spirit. He's not physical as we are used to looking at people around us and looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, there's a physical body, there's eyes and nose and lips and so on. Uh, God is spirit. And so we don't know what his true appearance is, but it's, it, it's an image that we can relate to. And so when we're reading scripture, true scripture, we're reading God's very word. That's, that's the essence of, 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 the, of the lesson. Now, in Jude, we've been looking at how Jude early on in verse 3 instructed that 
faithful Christians are to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered. Once delivered to the saints. Now, the faith is basically, from the broadest perspective, God's Word, the Bible. If you want to look at it as from a more narrow perspective, you could say it's the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And basically, that would be the New Testament scriptures, or boiled down that succinct gospel message that tells us that we can come to forgiveness and salvation before God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So Jude says, and, and what he's really going to get into, getting into already, we've, we've looked, and, and he's really going to focus on that uh, in a very direct way in these next few verses. He's talking about there are false teachers out there, or if they're not already out there, they're coming soon. But undoubtedly, as Jude wrote this, there were false teachers already out there. Paul dealt with false teachers. Peter dealt with false teachers in his writings, and Jude is doing the same. And Jude is perhaps more totally focused in this letter on false teachers and false teachings and the danger thereof than any of those others. Now, again, Paul deals with that in Galatians chapter 1, he deals with that in, in various texts of Scripture. But here is basically an entire letter that is kind of totally focused, at least to a great extent, on false teaching and on false teachers. Now, that should make an impression upon us as people who are saying we're following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're following God. We're believers in the Bible. We need, to, we need to be impressed with all of this focus on false teaching in the New Testament and Jude just being one, one particular book that focuses on that, but again, seems to be perhaps more exclusively focused than any of the others that we've looked at so far. We, we need to be impressed with it, it makes a difference what we believe and what we teach and what we practice. We need to make sure we stay true to God's Word. Now, when you look in Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, as the Apostle John was writing that particular book of the New Testament, as he comes to almost the very end of it, he says, you don't add anything to God's Word, you don't take anything away from God's Word on the pain of being condemned by God. So you don't, you don't try to change God's Word in any way. Peter talks about false teaching, changing God's word as twisting or perverting the scriptures. And Paul talks about it in the same basic way in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. So here James is trying to get across the faith, the true teachings of God's word, of the gospel, of Christianity, they've already been given to you by God. There's not a new gospel coming. There's no new Bible coming. There's no new part of the Bible coming. It's already, you've already been told what the truth is. You need to believe that and you need to contend for it earnestly. Now, in our last time together, we focused upon just the general 
teachings, the general focus on false teachings in you know, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Galatians 1, 6 through 9, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 10, 2 Timothy 4 and, and verses 1 through 4, Titus chapter 1, verse 9, and chapter 2 and verse 1, and we could go on. The principle is there throughout the scriptures, basically. But we want to begin with verse 12 now. And verse 12, and Jude is using very descriptive language here. We could call it illustrative language. And notice how he describes the false teachers. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch the second from Adam prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed to an, or in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's verses 12 through 15 of, of Jude. Again, very descriptive, very illustrative language, isn't it? Image rich, if you could think of it that way. You might think of Jude here as being a writer who was really experienced in words, a word man, so to speak. Now, of course, again, this is God's word. So God guided Jude to write what he wanted. Now, Jude might have been able to use some wording that he was familiar with and that, that he felt was descriptive in getting across the message that God was instructing him, guiding him through the Holy Spirit to write down. But this is God's word. Now notice, he says, these are spots in your love feasts, while they feast without, with you without fear, serving only themselves. You might say, well, what is a spot in a love feast? Well, have you ever maybe been picnicking someplace or maybe grilling out in the backyard or in some picnic area? And so you got your food in your plate, and maybe you had hot dogs, maybe you had hamburgers, maybe you had some barbecue, maybe you had some, some uh, potato salad there or coleslaw, and you put it all in your plate, whatever you have. You took out whatever you wanted, and you sat down and you started eating, and all of a sudden, a fly dropped down on your food. And maybe if it was potato salad or, or, or coleslaw in the in the you know liquid measure of those particular dishes, maybe he got stuck in there. Doesn't look very good, does it? Fly kind of takes away from your appetite, doesn't it? <laughs> so you might say, I gotta get that fly out of there. I don't want him to be in my food. And some people might carry it so far as they, say, oh man, it turned my stomach and they just throw their, 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 their whole plate away. Or some of them might say, I, I can't eat that because a fly got in my potato salad or my coleslaw or maybe my baked beans. Now he was only probably in a small portion of it, but instead of just maybe scooping that fly out and maybe the little portion that he had contaminated, if you think of it as being contaminated, his landing on it, they may throw that whole portion of food out. 
Well, they, <laughs> all the beans, all the potato salad, all the coleslaw. Or in some cases, again, some people might go so far as to say that, I, you know, my plate is contaminated now, just throw it out. Or maybe it just made me sick to my stomach and they throw it out. Or maybe you've gone to a restaurant and you've ordered a dish and, and the meal has come out in your plate and you begin eating. And as you're eating through whatever that, that meal is made up of, you come to, again, a fly or some other impurity that has somehow fallen into and contaminated a portion of what you're eating. Well, again, it kind of turns your stomach, doesn't it? You don't like that. Well, I think that's what we're to understand when we're talking about you know, uh, uh, Jude's language here when he says these. Now, who are these? False teachers. That's who he's talking about, false teachers. These are spots in your love feasts. Well, they feast with you without fear. Well, again, you know, you might think about that fly in your, in your, uh, it landed on your plate and he's, you know, kind of going through your food there, whatever the portions are. He did that without fear, didn't he? You know, he just, he somehow sensed food. And so he attacked. <laughs> well, false teachers, they're out there trying to lead people to believe the false teachings that they are putting forth. And so, Jude describes them as spots in your love feats. In other words, contaminating the true teachings of God's word with their false teachings. Now, they're serving only themselves because, again, they're not serving God if they're teaching error. They're serving themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Think about that. Now, what do we depend upon clouds for? Well, some people might say they give us a little bit of shade. They break the really hot rays of the sun on a really hot midsummer day. Well, that's kind of a secondary benefit that we get from them. But what's the primary focus of the clouds? They bring us rain, don't they? They bring us moisture. And under the right climatic conditions, they will dump rain down upon the earth, and that's going to water our crops and our grass, going to provide water in our reservoirs for us to eat and use in various ways. But now, if we think about clouds without water, that can be a rather, that image can be a rather, you know, uh, unfortunate and, and kind of a deceptive kind of imagery, can't it? especially if you're in an area that may be drought-stricken. And then one afternoon, it's hot. You haven't had rain for maybe a couple of months. The ground is baked. It's cracking open. The crops in your field are dying, withering on the vine because they have not had enough water, not enough rain. And then you look, and all of a sudden, it looks like maybe the clouds are darkening up. Clouds are forming. Looks like maybe, maybe a system is coming along, a cloud bank. And, and you look up and you think, oh, good, it looks like it's going to rain. But then the clouds break up and they just drift away and nothing happens. It can be not only deceptive in appearance, but it can be, it can be just disheartening for us, uh, discouraging clouds without water. Now, what, what are the false teachers doing? They're leading people astray through erroneous teachings. 
And so they may promise forgiveness and salvation. They may promise some other things. Some false teachers promise prosperity, (laughs) financial prosperity, if you'll just follow their particular teachings. But they're like clouds without water. It's not going to come to fruition. It's not going to happen. You're not going to be fulfilled in in the ways that, that they are suggesting even if they're talking about following Jesus Christ, if they're talking about following him in a way that is contradictory to what the scriptures teach about following, about how we should follow Jesus Christ, then again, they're like clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit. Well, when do we normally look for harvest in our agricultural uh, settings in our, in, our, in, in our country and around the world? During the, during the fall, don't we? They are planted in the spring. They grow during the summer and in the fall. They, the fruits come to fruition, and we, we pick the fruit off the trees or we harvest the crops, whether it's corn or soybeans or whatever it might be. But now, autumn trees without fruit. So consider somebody who has planted a, an apple orchard, say, or a peach orchard, or some kind of citrus orchard. And it comes along, and and when it's time to gather the fruit, it's time to get the harvest, the trees, half of them, bear no fruit. Well, what good are those trees if they're not going to bear fruit? So late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Another very vivid image that's portrayed about the false teachers, raging waves of the sea. If you think about the confusion, the distraction, and the leading of people who are following their false teaching off in, in, in wrong directions from a spiritual perspective, they're actually leading them away from the truth of God's word well, you can understand that kind of imagery then, that kind of language. They're like raging waves. They're, they're causing problems. They're being deceitful. Even if they're sincere in what they believe themselves, if they're teaching error, they're being deceitful. They're, they're, they're leading people astray. And so you're talking about, you're talking about causing problems causing problems within the spiritual lives of the people they are leading away from the truth of God's word. It, it's a kind of, of you know, turbulent image, and, and that's what leading people away from the true teachings of God's word through false teaching, that's a pretty apt description, like raging waves, raging waves, interesting, interesting, foaming up their own shame because what they're teaching really brings shame on them because they're teaching falsehood. Wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Well, we look up in a clear sky at night, and if we're in an area where the, the atmosphere is fairly clear, we can see countless stars, can't we? Countless stars. Nobody has been able to number with certainty the stars in the sky. The number is just too vast, and I'm not sure that we could even see all of them in the farther reaches of, 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 of outer space because there are so many. 
the number just in our Milky Way system is astronomical. But now, what if there's a star out there that just, it's all by itself, it's just kind of wandering around in blackness? Well, that, again, kind of vivid imagery, isn't it? Well, what about a false teacher who's out there teaching false teaching? He is wandering around in a darkness from a spiritual perspective because what he's teaching is contradictory to what God's Word teaches. His teaching contradicts what our Lord and Savior taught while he was on this earth. And so he's not shining light upon the Word of God. He's blackening or kind of putting a cloud over it or a veil over it with the darkness of the falsehoods that he's teaching. He's confusing people. He's not leading them into the light of the Lord. He's leading them into the darkness of condemnation. Think about what Peter wrote in in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17. And, And notice Notice the similarity, the parallelism, and there, there's considerable parallelism between uh, what Peter wrote and what Jude wrote. In verse 17 of Second Peter chapter 2, these are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. How did, how did Jesus describe heaven? I'm, I'm sorry, hell. How did he describe hell? He talked about it in various terms, a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, but he also described it as a place of outer darkness. Outer darkness. Now, what is outer darkness? It's been described as a darkness that is so intense that it can also almost seem like you can feel it. It is so dense around you. I've told the story, and many of you perhaps have experienced this yourself. Maybe you were on a trip, and you're in an area where there was a, a tour that took place within a cave. And so, and I've done that a few times in my life. And so perhaps in that particular tour, the tour guide took you back into some of the farther recesses of the cave. And of course, all along the way, they had electrical lighting strung up so you could see where you were going. And you could see the features, at least some of the features of the cave. And it is an inspiring kind of of experience. But maybe somewhere along the way, the tour guide stopped stopped you and he started talking to you about different features of the cave. But also, I remember in one, one tour, there was a stream that ran along through the cave And the tour guide said, now, the fish in this cave are actually blind because at a certain time of the fall or early winter, we turn off the lights because we we close the tours because there's not enough tourists coming to take the tour. So we close them for a few months. And so he he told us in one case, he said, now, if, if we were to if you were to get stuck in this cave at the time, whether it was October or November or December, whatever, until 
and you got stuck here when we turned off all the lights, when we closed down the cave, and you were stuck until we came back in the spring, maybe March or April or so, and turned the lights back on, he said, the darkness is so intense that when we turned the lights back on, you would be blind. And it would be like those fish swimming through the stream in that cave. There would be absolutely no light. And so your optic nerves would cease to function in your eyes and in your brain, and, and you'd be blind. He might say, now, I'm going to turn off the lights for just a few moments. And you can see what we're talking about by the intensity of the darkness in this cave. Were there no lights available? And so he turned off the lights. And I remember waving my hand before my eyes. I could see absolutely no features of my hand whatsoever. Now, that's how intense the dark is. That's what we're talking about. I believe we're to understand what he's talking about. Stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And that is an apt comparison to what Jesus said, that hell is like a place of outer darkness, absolutely devoid of light. And especially when you think about the light in heaven itself that is the result of the presence of God and Christ. We're told that in the scriptures. Their presence illuminates the city of heaven. Well, hell is a place where God and Christ are not, and so it's a place of outer darkness. It's interesting also that Jude here refers to Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Now, in other words, the seventh in the genealogical record of the bloodlines from Adam down to Enoch. Enoch would have been the seventh in that bloodline that is listed in the scriptures. And Enoch is one of only two men, Noah being the only other one, who are referred to specifically in scripture as having walked with God. And so Enoch was a righteous man, as was Noah. But Enoch apparently was so righteous in God's eyes that he took him and spared him from physical death, is the way the text seems to indicate in Genesis chapter 5. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, these false teachers, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly. Now notice this 15th verse here. To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Four times in that one verse, Jude uses the word ungodly to describe these sinners who have been teaching or who would teach false doctrine, false teachings, teachings that contradict the true teachings of God's word. And notice when he says, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints. Well, we could make the comparison there to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7, where the apostle Paul 
describes graphically what it will be like when the Lord comes in that final day of judgment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and beginning with verse 7. Notice what Paul wrote. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the Lord, uh, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Well, when you think about that and what Jude says, that on that final day of judgment, the Lord is going to come with ten thousands, plural, of his saints. Well, that's going to be an incredible day. That's going to be an awesome day and an awesome image when the Lord comes back on that final day of judgment, calling all mankind to give account for the way we have lived our lives in this physical world. Those who have ever lived those who were living at that particular time when he comes again. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says that we will all give account for how we have lived our lives before Christ on that day. He will be the judge, and he is an all-knowing judge. Well, we're going to pick up with verse 16 next time. And Jude continues to focus on false teachers and false teachings and warning us to be true followers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by contending earnestly, standing firm upon and guarding against any false teaching against God's word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for blessing us with your word in written form so that we can read it continually, learn from it, and make the proper applications to our lives. Father, help us to study it diligently so that we know the truth of your teachings and thereby we can stand on guard against anyone who would come along and teach us anything that contradicts the true teachings of your word. Help us to be those diligent students who stand approved before you, rightly dividing or handling, hand, handling correctly your word of truth, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. All praise, glory, honor, and thanks be to you, Father. Please forgive us and hear our prayer, gracious Father. In Jesus' name, amen.